Hey, Zero Block 30 listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Pride members can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Revely, revely, revely! Zero Block 30, and today we have five rounds of the magazine. Round number one, it's time to update the old safety brief, because if you see a World War II era munition just flopping around the old ground, don't take that thing like it's a shampoo bottle and shove it directly up your ass. That that happened in round number one. Round number two, good initiative, bad judgment. Man gets caught using a fake arm to get a vaccine in Italy. Sadly, his lack of integrity will earn both known as an extra shift to Firewatch. Nick will have to let them know about that. Super known is going to be upset. She already had a limo cheat in, but that's going to be denied. Round number three, British troops apparently don't complain all the time. If that's the case, we should go to the United Nations and say that they are no longer our allies. If We don't want you. If you're not complaining, if you can't commiserate, you better get out. Just get out of here. And round number four, I do an interview. Um, with a gentleman who was helped by the Semper Fi Fund today or yesterday, I guess now as you're listening, on Monday, Dave Portnoy announced that Barstool will be teaming up with the Barstool Sportsbook again and Penn National to do a big time fundraiser where it's going to benefit the Semper Fi Fund and Fisher House, which are two incredible organizations, which you're going to learn about in round number four by a fellow who is in Iraq in the same battalion as me we were there together he was injured in june and i was injured in july he lost both of his legs in an an ied blast and he tells us about what happened and how the simplify fund helped him get his life back on track it's it's an incredible story and they're doing incredible things you're going to want to hear from davy he's a great guy and finally round number five just a caveat off a safety brief and round number one we like to remind everyone that burning snakes that have infested your home not the best idea There's plenty of other ways to get snakes out. You don't have to burn them out. And if you do, you end up with an extra shift of Firewatch. And if you're on Firewatch, I would highly recommend doing that shift with a big old cup of Joe from Black Rifle Coffee Company. They're the presenting partner of this show. We enjoy their coffee. It's fantastic all across the board. They have a buy a bag, give a bag program where they're giving it to first responders, troops. They've given over, they've given millions of cup of coffee away at this point. They just went public. They're doing great. They're doing great things. They're making all kinds of coffee. Make sure that you go get some at blackriflecoffee.com. Be a part of their Coffee of the Month Club where they're going to send it directly to your door. You don't want that shit that's been sitting on the shelf for months and months on end at the grocery store. You want the good stuff. You want the high-level stuff. You want the high-octane. That's what they say in the biz. They call it high-level caffeine. It's the old high-octane. Goodness gracious alive. Make sure you get it with Black Rifle Coffee. Let's get going with the actual show. Big week this week. Army-Navy week, Cons. It's your, it's your week of the year. Army-Navy. Yeah. First of all, before we really get into it, we're going to talk some, I guess, in round four. Not really. We don't even talk about the game in round number four. But task and purpose. Yeah. They had a big time article that came out that no one gives a fuck about Army Navy. Cons, your thoughts? I mean, that's patently ridiculous. The article was geared more towards the enlisted folks in the Army and Navy. And I guess on a smaller set, the Marines not caring. Here's the thing. I mean, I get it, but at what point were we forcing it on them? Like, hey, you better care about this game. I think that the American public in general very much cares about the game. The numbers support that they care about the game. It's one of the greatest rivalries 
you can argue in all of sports, not just college yeah. football, because it's at the top of the list of college football, but all of sports, it's so pure. I'm going to have some more thoughts about this on, on Friday's show, but I, I just seemed like the guy was writing something to stir up a hornet's nest. And I guess yeah. he did because I'm a little perturbed. Well, what I think, I think it's a fair statement to say, and I just thought of it and I've never thought of it before, which, I, but I think it's going to, to really slap here. Are you ready, Kate? Because okay. you're not going to agree most likely because you you're very invested in this. Kate, would you say that the army Navy game is the football version of the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade where it is a part of culture. People are supposed to like it. People care about it. But if you did, if you, if it went by, you didn't watch it that year, you probably wouldn't know. Yeah. If you, if you happen to miss it and you're not directly involved with it somehow, you probably don't care, but it is a really cool. If you happen to catch it, you're like, what a goddamn delight. This look is at that big old Snoopy. The channels, you're like, look yeah. at this giant Snoopy. Snoopy. Oh my what God. What's Snoopy doing? Oh, Woodstock, you old son of a bitch. And I, I will say big this old too. birdie landed on a windowsill. For me, like when I was in, I did not care at all. And plus I wasn't an officer, so I didn't have any skin in the game. And, but it was like this, like I never gave a shit really about NASCAR or any of that stuff until I went to a race and I was like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. I love this. I get that same. Once I went to my first army Navy game, the very first time I ever met you guys was down in Philadelphia and you guys invited me out to meet you at the game. It was, it is magical. There's something really, really cool about it. And I mm. always walk away in awe and feeling so proud of all the students. I don't know. It, it really it's the students. It, it's not the play on the field. The play on the field is not fucking fantastic. It's the students. Like a lot of yeah. times are really whoa, slow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about, <laughs> dude? Not. The play what are you talking great. about? It's games that last 15 minutes because everybody's running. No one can throw What's the ball. What's wrong with that? Dude, it's, oh, a, it's, it's Army, a game Army from like the 1930s. Listen, we're not going to get into the stats and go deep on the stats, but Army is the one of the best, if not the best, passing efficiency team this year in college football. So we can throw the ball very well. We won't go go into that. But it's more. How than many just times a game you pass? There, there are sometimes. No, there are some games we we throw. Uh, you know, 10, 10 plus. So of course. I've just always been regardless, lucky enough to be able regardless. to walk through the stands. And Don's talk got to legit the mad. His face turned red. I want that in the logbook. <laughs> yeah. He got legit. I stand by that. It's not if you're going to watch a pure football game in 2021, that's not typical football college. Football. No, it's not it's typical not. college football. No, it's not. not. Not many people are running the triple option. Got right. it. But that's I think what I mean, like you're not going to what, but the, it's the students that are all dressed up in uniform being there. That is what makes it. It's the students that make that game. If it if you take the students out and they aren't allowed to go and they're huge formations, that game is so unbelievably different. It doesn't even compare. It, yeah. And other big games, you could take them and put them on a neutral site, and that doesn't happen. This game is about the students that go to those schools. Like, yeah. period. And I That's think what it's so about. often people have this idea of kids that go to service academies are all one exact type of person, and they're all very straightforward and straight-laced, blah, blah. And I feel like it showcases how unique and fun and creative and clever the students are. And I don't know. I just... I just feel like it shows the best that the academies have to. I don't know. I just and Twitter I has shown the differences too, right? Of those yeah. schools, like where you have like Lady Loves Taft and Cons, and yeah. then you have like all kinds of different grads from West Point and the Naval Academy that we see that are around. It's just a different type of atmosphere. One of my favorite sporting moments ever of like things that I've been in the stadium was when Army broke the streak, and I think Kate, you and I were standing by each other. Uh, Cons, you were doing something else, but we were in the end zone 
in between the two student sections of Army and Navy, like right when they divide, like right down the, the row, mm-hmm. when Navy gave up the score to Army and you could see the Army kids just go bananas and then jump over the side of the wall and they were coming on to the field. Very, very cool moment. That was awesome. So we're looking yeah. forward to that. Here's a, oh, no, always- I'm sorry. I just want to say one last thing. I, one last thing. I do think there are enlisted folks on both Army and Navy who do enjoy the game and take pride in it. That said, I don't think anybody is forcing that on them. It, it made it, the article made it seem like we're all forcing all the enlisted, like you better like this game, you better get excited. Oh yeah, that doesn't I get it. I've never no. even heard about it. Yeah, like, nobody, it wasn't nobody even made discussed. us watch it. And I think yeah. it's, it might be different in the Army and the Navy because it's actually in there. But mm-hmm. the Marine Corps, we're always just like, we don't give a fuck. Like right. that's not our school. Like we don't yeah. give a shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I don't anyway. even know. I think I was like, uh, I might have been a staff NCO the first time that I realized that some Marine officers went to the Naval Academy. I had no I, idea. I had no idea. I had no idea. I was like, what? Like, what? I was, I, no, it was actually during an Army Navy game. It was one of the ones where they had um, on one side of their helmet, they had the Navy anchor and the other side, they had the Eagle Open anchor. I was like, that's fucking stolen valor. They didn't even mention that. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't want them to have that. Um, so we are looking forward to it. But the best part about it, even if you don't give a shit about a sports game, being able to bet on a sports game will make you care about games that you don't, just like fantasy football. When you're playing fantasy football and you don't have a, a rooting interest in seeing the Ravens versus Seahawks, maybe you're starting DK Metcalf, which will make it a more fun thing. That's what will happen if you use the Barstool Sportsbook. You, if you're a new customer in any of the states that the sportsbook is operating, if you're a new customer, you put 100 bucks in, their Penn National is going to match it. And then there's another fella, a super rich dude, that is going to match that donation. So your hundred dollars yeah. could turn into a two hundred dollar donation. Um, he's matching dollar for dollar every single penny that is put into the Semper Fi fund for the month of December, which is an incredible time. We didn't even know that until we had figured everything yeah. out. I didn't realize there was somebody on top of Penn doing that. Oh yeah. That's unbelievable. Some, yeah, this apparently it's like a billionaire or something like this dude's like good for him. Mad, his family's mad rich, but that's <laughs> what's going on this week. So you'll hear more about that. I'm excited about that. But we also have a lot of stuff to talk about, including what's going on in round number one, because we know cons and his artillery can they'll just shoot fucking rounds everywhere and leave them completely unexplored. Just absolutely no damn discipline in the mm, artillery ranks. None. It's, it's sad. It's sickening None. to see. I would never leave military working dogs strewn about. Well, I guess we did in Afghanistan. I would mm. never leave them strewn about the battlefield like they do. But sometimes people will find around. They'll take that motherfucker. And in the words of the longtime stoolie, the rock, they'll shine that thing up. They'll turn that motherfucker sideways and they'll stick it straight up your candy ass. This is, this is very true. Uh, they will put it right up your candy ass. So what uh, happened, Kate? <laughs> the bomb squad was called to Gloucestershire Royal Hospital on Thursday, December 2nd, after a patient was admitted with a mortar shell stuck in his rectum. Damn yep. near killed That's him. That's butthole for those keeping That's sport butthole, home. That's butthole, your rectum. Mm-hmm. Troops from 11th Explosive Ordnance Disposal Regiment rushed to the Gloucester Hospital after being notified poli- by police that a patient had presented with a munition in his rectum. Uh, Gunny, that's oh, cool. cool. What happened was, uh, uh, I sat down. I didn't know it was in the sand. Uh, the man was a military enthusiast, clearly, who found the shell while clearing out but somehow tripped and fell onto the 57 oh, millimeter I fell piece. over. 
Oh, damn these high heels. Oh, I fell right onto this. Uh, he oh. fell onto it, uh, landed him in the hospital. The 57 millimeter mortar round was used by the Royal Artillery in the Second World War. As God, as an artillery man, give us some information about a 57 Mike Mike. Um, it's kind of, I was thinking about this. How would this even be possible? 57 millimeter, it would be uncomfortable, but I could see it's not that give, large. Give me a comparison. I'm just thinking in my head what I could compare it to. Like a fist? No, no it's, it's no, it's, it's like uh, like, uh, yeah, a little it's bit like it's in that. between the size of like a baseball and softball, like right yeah. there. Yeah. OK, well, if you're getting and it's there. pointed, it's got like it's it's a it, it's gradual. It's not yeah. like a ball. It's not like a cannonball. Mm -hmm. It's like a penis head. Mm -hmm. Well, so, I, I can see how this would work. They're also 170 millimeters long. How long is that? That's 170 crazy. millimeters long. That seems pretty so long. That's about probably about the. A length of your hand plus another half a hand. No, well, so two hands. I just sent it to you. I sent the actual thing that was in somebody's ass. I sent okay. it in the chat. Let me we'll look it at it. Let me tell you. Oh, honestly, I'm not saying anything about my ass, but I'm saying it wouldn't kill me. Oh yeah, there's. No. I went to the Museum of Sex in Las Vegas. People have put way bigger stuff in their buttholes. Yeah, yeah, I still follow that. Remember the story? The priest got caught in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. He was on the altar getting banged by these two mm -hmm. dominatrixes. And I still follow one of them on Twitter. She's lovely. She's very nice. I DM'd her to blog about it. She couldn't talk about it. The lawyers, all that stuff. Uh, anyway, awesome. every now and then I'm scrolling through my Twitter and it's like zero block 30 people I like, blah, blah, blah. And then it's Lady V just fisting a guy with her fucking oh, yeah. leather gloves on. You got like, oh my God. You got to um, absolutely give them the what for. When I went to that museum of sex, there was a dildo that I swear to God looked like a fire hydrant. Like it was yeah. enormous. It's amazing and I, what. And I asked do. the tour guide, I, I said, look, this isn't my cup of tea, but let's just say I wanted to shove that thing up my ass till it almost touched my throat. Like, mm -hmm. let's just, how would I go about this? She said it's a whole diet. Like you got to change your entire diet if you're going to stick something that big up your butthole. Like okay, you can't. You do all kinds of douching. You gotta do. You gotta get it all out. Well, I bet it takes a couple of years too to stretch yourself out that much. Oh I yeah, mean, you sheesh. don't just you don't just walk into the butthole game and immediately start sticking artillery rounds up your ass. Right, it yeah. takes a little time. But Kate, continue because this is more than just getting something lodged in your rectum. It, there's some more dangerous activity at play here. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the guy said he was cle cleaning out his stuff. He found the shell. He put it on the floor. He slipped. He fell on it and went up his ass. Of course. Um, the person at the army there said we can confirm an army explosive ordnance disposal team was called to the out to the Gloucestershire hospital at request of local police. Um, we can confirm that the EOD was at the hospital yesterday. As with any incident involving munitions, the relevant safety protocols were followed to ensure that there was no risk to patients, staff, or visitors at any time. Can I say one thing? Mm. You are a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. You go to school for like seven or eight fucking years. It is so taxing and tiring and really, really difficult. You finally are a doctor. Everyone's so proud of you. Everyone's so, you got bullied in middle school. So this is a big deal. Your reunion's coming up. It's a big fucking deal. Mm -hmm. But nope, two days before the class reunion, you get killed by an exploding mortar round in somebody's fucking asshole. Doing I think your that's job a great way to doctor. die. I was going to say, it's kind of a great story. 
No. You'll be remembered forever. Like, yeah. it's not going to be yeah, like, oh, what not- happens to cons? Dude, you don't remember what happened to Kahn's? He blew up because he put something in his That's ass. That's humiliating way to go, dude. <laughs> now, that didn't happen here, but I'm just saying, if you're the doctor dealing with this, you're probably like, get the fuck out of here. Please don't make me do this. I no. also think it's the same way if you're a gynecologist. That's a dangerous job to get into. You would smell some stinky, stinky, stinky pussies. We're allowed to have stinky pussies. Okay, nobody promised you a rose garden. Okay, there's that a lot is going true. on down there. Good point, a lot of folk. Yeah, beggars anyway, can't be choosers, my friend. Right. A spokesman added the item has been removed prior to police arrival and the Army's EOD team was contacted. Uh, a defense source said it was a solid shot round. It was a chunky pointed lump of lead designed to rip through a tank's armor. It was basically an inert lump of metal, so there was no risk to life, at least not anyone else's. Um, the doctor, Carol Cooper, said the patient could have died if the round had pierced his gut. Yeah, I assume a giant ball of lead going through your gut. Not great. Yeah, not great. Added, Usually not great. The, she added, the range of objects that are pushed into rectums is incredible, from wine glasses to ketchup bottles and parts of Hoover's. Do you guys remember back in the Wild West days of text messaging in the Marine Corps, when you first started to be able to send pictures and videos, that's how old we are. There was one very particular video amongst Marines that was super viral that you would send to your buddies and surprise, you'd have them open it. It'd be a big HR violation now. No, two, two girls, one cup. No, no, that, well, that was the other one. The other one was the guy sitting on a giant glass bottle and then, and then remember he would break it and then he would poop out the shards of glass. That was from the pain Olympics. It was from the pain Olympics that I got sent that by all my Marines. And I'm like, oh, you guys. I was just talking about that to somebody the other day. It's a different time. If there was a video camera that was like day in the life of chaps as a Marine, I would be canceled. There's just no doubt about it. Yeah, I sent that. We all sent it to each other. It's like, oh, we're just goofing, dude. What are you doing? sexual harassment i just pulled on his dick i like just grabbed it and like shook it around a little bit in front of everybody who cares oil checking everybody on the stairs oil check the goat doing the goat everybody the bat wing anyway um sadly (sighs) it's an everyday occurrence but i have never heard of the bomb squad being called out before a hospital spokesman said as with any incident involving munitions safety protocols are followed blah 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 blah. i imagine that's got to (sighs) be If you go into the hospital for that kind of stuff too, like, like when's the point where you're like, well, I either lay here and die or I go to the hospital with this goldfish in my ass. Who's the actor who put the gerbil up his butt? He's like famous. Oh, oh rumors. Richard Gere. Right? Richard Gere. Yeah. Richard, oh, Gere. Richard Gere. That was, that was even before the internet. That was a, you know, a nineties rumor that just made its way all over the, the country. Shut, unbelievably sharp nails. But yeah, I feel I like that. I feel like there's definitely like, it's like how, when I was in labor, I was like holding off as long as I couldn't and find it. I was like, no, I have to go to the hospital, dude. I have to go. Like, there's gotta be a, a point that you hit with something in your butt where you're like, oh, God damn it. Put me in the car. Let's go to the hot. Like there, I want to like, know. Right. I want to transport myself into your brain when you're that horny that you're going to shove artillery up your ass. Like looking at the size of that thing and just how horny you have to be to be like, this thing needs to go inside. Yeah, but in this case, it was a complete accident. <laughs> yeah, true. You slip. If that's true, he needs to be stitched up. He needs to get the husband stitched for his Yeah, body. one extra stitch. Yeah. yeah. This, I'm looking at this article, the 11 most bizarre objects found in people's butts. Mm-hmm. Um, Pull that gla- up, Jamie. <laughs> glass bottle. Not too shocking. A live eel. And this is from the surgery. Oh. This is from a real scientific journal. A live eel. Electric and, or non? 
uh, a non-electric. Okay. Thank a van- God. A vanity light bulb. You know, the mm-hmm. bright kind of light. We got to stay away from glass, folks. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yes, we do. An instant coffee jar with pins in the lid. But why? Uh, a Buzz Lightyear toy. <laughs> to infinity, to infinity and, and beyond. beyond. Yeah, Con- concrete. <laughs> well, yeah, beyond. Uranus there, Buzz. <laughs> somebody, somebody bonged concrete into their butt. Um, deodorant it? Spread. Yeah, like, like filled their ass with with concrete. Talking about shit in a brick. <laughs> I know. Hey, Amen. Yeah, absolutely. What's what's aubergine? Aubergine. Somebody put aubergine in their asses on the list. I don't know what it is. I don't know, but I'm just going to assume it's, it's uh, paper mache. Now it's an eggplant. And then a can of deodorant oh. spray. Now a can of deodorant spray would be funny if you had the spray part at the bottom and mm-hmm. you were like, check this out. No, you, and it smelled you, good. No, no, you you make the nozzle face your balls so that it don't, they don't stink. <laughs> Whatever you said. Right. That's a, that could be a product. So I don't like a that. natural little uh, oil infuser for your balls. Anyway, a cassette tape, a pair of tongs, a cassette tape. That's rectangle. Why would you money, want that? All sorts of money. Um, yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there anything, you have that's it. what old Abe Lincoln said. Anything's a dildo if you're brave enough. That's true. Mm-hmm. All right, man. let's move on to round number two, where we're going to stay across the pond and we're going to go over to Italy because this one's about an Italian man who wanted the coronavirus vaccine certificate because they're not fucking around. In Italy. No, if you don't no. have that thing, you can't go to plays. You can't get a fresh plate of spaghetti. There's so many things that you can't do. I don't even think you're allowed to go to Newark. They'll shut that shit down. Mm-hmm. We'll shut it down. Mm. Shut it down. No spaghetti for you, my friends. That's for nope. goddamn sure. So what happened, Kate? An Italian man who wanted a coronavirus vaccine certificate without actually getting the jab tried to play the system by presenting healthcare workers with a First, fake Can I say arm. I hate the term the jab? Like the that jab. might be, or the stick, like any of those things, a little colloquial phrase. A little Fauci, ouchie, that makes me want yes. to grow up. Ugh. Oh, I haven't heard that one. I hate that. Ouchie, ouchie. It's just, grow up, you pussies. Yeah. Anyway, this guy rolled in to get his shot with a fake arm on hoping that it would trick them. Despite the realistic skin color, nobody was fooled by the silicone arm, and the man in his 50s was reported to police following the incident in Northwest Italy. And he was also wearing a hot dog outfit where he was like, we're all trying to figure out who did this. We're all trying to figure out who did this. <laughs> wasn't me. Uh, the case borders on the ridiculous. If it were not for the fact that we were talking about a gesture of enormous gravity, said the head of the regional government, he said such an act was unacceptable faced with the sacrifice that our entire community has paid during the pandemic in terms of human lives, the social and economic costs. The fake I'm sorry, arm- gesture of enormous gravity, I think is a little much. Well, I mean, you went to high, you went to a long string to be able right, to find this fake it, arm. Yes, okay, I get that. Yeah. But my point is, it's not as though he wrangled up hundreds of people and said, hey, here, here are these fake arms, and this is how we're going to avoid getting this vaccine. It was one dude being a jamoke that decided to go through it. Yeah, this. I so think I just, it depends on what you do, yeah, right? I would like, say. Like, if somebody's working at the fucking, if somebody's working at Target, I don't necessarily care if they use a fake vaccine card. But for Antonio Brown, where you're going to be in all kinds of people's facilities, like in doing all time, I could see where people get upset. But this guy, you're absolutely right, Conti, he's being a touch dramatic. <laughs> I think it's very nice of him that he went with a fake arm and didn't take another human's arm. Yeah. Try yes. to, uh, you or get into it like a fake little baby dick, like a fake cock or something. Like if he had like a dildo and was like, no, give it to me here. And they did the injection like into his penis. You I think that's me. a HIPAA violation. 
Anyway, the fake arm incident comes ahead of tightening the rules uh, Monday in Italy for people who have not yet been vaccinated. I don't condone dick vaccines. Just off the jump. Okay. Just I, know, as I, never, a, I didn't know that Just was as a blanket statement. I yeah. do not. If somebody was like, hey, do you want this MMR or a tetanus shot directly into your dick? I'm saying no. That's just me. That's my yeah. culture. That's uh, fine. I think that's fine. Okay. I just want to know how this Italian man found his way onto my American mom's Facebook pages that he's so afraid of this vaccine, you know? Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. What do you do? If you if you are that person, you're that nurse or you're that medical aide and you go in to give a vaccine and you see that it's a fake arm, what do you... I think Kate's so polite, she wouldn't yeah. even call somebody out on it. Like, 100% oh, Kate be like, your, oh, okay. Your arm feels a little... Your arm feels a little rubbery. That's... Especially, it's none of my business. Especially if I can tell they put I'm a sorry. ton of effort into like the veining and everything. Oh, they yeah. really put a lot of effort into it. Maybe a tattoo or two. But I would whisper. I would say, "Excuse me, one moment." I wouldn't confront them. I would pull All a right. camera. If you had access manager. to fake vaccine cards and you knew you weren't going to go to jail, would you sell them? Fuck no, no. Get out of here, no. Okay, that's no. not what you texted me the other day. You're like, I do not get the fuck out of No, I did not. I was like, Kate, this is very unscrupulous. And you're like, I don't even care. Mama needs a new eye chair. The one I have currently is not working. You know the juvie, it's not working. No, that is. I mean, that is, that probably is a very prevalent business for Kate up here in New York City, because in New York City, you can't get in anywhere without a vaccine card. So I'll, I, it would not surprise me to Kate's hear the case outside of Madison Square Garden. Like, yeah, got a vaccine card here. Ice yeah. cold vaccine cards here. Mm-hmm. I did buy illegal game tickets before outside MSG. Oh. See, if you're willing to do that, so what are you not? Up. What else are you willing to do? Mm-hmm. Sounds like Negative you're willing violation. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hate yeah. To hear I'm that. selling fake arms as well. So true. <laughs> uh, the, those are the best arms to sell, by the way. Real mm-hmm. arms are that'll get you in trouble. You sell them real arms, you'll get into some right. for that. Hmm. Yep. All right. Well, if you need some mental health care, maybe go with our friends at BetterHelp. Over the past few months, we've talked about BetterHelp and how they've contributed to improving our mental health, everybody on the show, basically. Um, the ease of access to licensed therapists in a variety of ways to receive therapy has been a brush of fresh air. We've also talked to you about their Gold Star initiative um, that they partnered with us about by going to Gold Star or betterhelp.com slash Gold Star. If you're a Gold Star family member or you know one, make sure that they are aware of this program where they can get free licensed medical help um, for their mental health needs for as long as they'll need it, which is an incredible program that they have. And if you're just a regular Joe like us, then you can go and get that health care for 10% off by going to betterhelp.com slash ZBT. It's a great program. If you've never used it before, let me explain it to you. They have an app that you can download on your phone. Even if you're a poor bitch that has Android, you can still use it there. So if you go onto your phone, you sign up for BetterHelp, and then they have like a list that you can go through and choose. You see what the therapy's uh, the therapist specialty is, you see what you're kind of having issues with, and you can sign up for them there. You go onto their calendar, like you don't have to talk to a receptionist or anything like that. You just see when the therapist is available. You click that, you hit approve, and next thing you know, you're scheduled. Usually it can happen in as little as 48 hours. It's a great program. Betterhelp.com slash ZBT. Let's move on to round number three. And this one, oh, oh buddy. Oh, buddy. Go ahead, Kate. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> Last week, the government published its blueprint for how it intends to remodel the army. 
According to the plan, a number of regular troops is being- and this is the British Army, by the way. This comes yes. to us from England and it is from the Intercept. This is a whole across the pond episode. Yes, mm -hmm. we're over in the UK. Last week, the government published its blueprint for Hermione Granger. All right, Hermione, Anyways, according to the plan, a number of regular troops, the number is being reduced to the smallest size since the Napoleonic Wars became integrated uh, since. And as our West Point grad cons, give us a little background information on the yeah. uh, Napoleonic Wars. What, what would you like to know about the Napoleonic Wars other than the fact that Napoleon was very short? How short? I think, wasn't he like 5'2", five 5'3"? Five no, 5'6". Shout out Nick. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, there he is. <laughs> anyway. Early, early 1800s, though, the Napoleonic Wars. <laughs> they when Napoleon are... tried to take over all of Europe, basically. They're cutting troop numbers. It's going to be a record low size in the British military. Um, and basically, so on. <laughs> so what this is essentially saying is that they are going to have, they have all these troops that are going to be downsized and that they need to have everybody focused. But the concern of the writers of the, and it's really just the editorial staff, they are concerned with the military there, that they are going to be tasked out in so many other places, like we've talked about with our National Guard, where the National Guard goes to Boston and they have to drive school buses, or they go to DC and they have to set up an emergency medical equipment. They're not doing military things, they're doing things for community support and to support the communities rather than doing wartime efforts. The Intercept staff and their editorial staff is concerned that there's rising conflicts with Russia being on the border of Ukraine and being involved with Belarus. You have that conflict. Then you have the conflict with China and Taiwan. They're saying that they're not focusing nearly enough on military measures, but doing more so on the civilian side. And they need to return to military training, even though the conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq are largely over. They want them to return to military training. Now they're saying that troops don't complain about the workload. That, that's where we take issue. Like yeah. I, have, I have no qualms about the intercept saying what they need to do militarily. I don't give a fuck about any of that. But they're saying that their troops don't complain about having to work long hours or work on weekends. And to that, that is a bunch of ballyhoo. That's a bunch <laughs> of hogwash. Yeah, so it was by the spectator. And that's exactly what they said. Troops do not co complain about their working hours. They work weekends if they have to. And so they can't be deployed for every crisis. They're already stretched thin, but they're not going to be complaining about it. And you chaps immediately were like, oh, my God, I don't care what country your army is in. Every army everywhere across the world complains constantly. That's what and we do. And not just army. If you're in a group of six, somebody's complaining. Like, that's it's just anywhere. the way the world it's works. It's what we do. It's what we do. So chaps took to our Zero Block 30 social media and he asked, what do troops definitely not complain about? Like, because we totally, he's, you know, saying along with this article, yeah, you're right. We don't complain. What are we totally not complaining about? And we got hundreds and hundreds of answers. I'm just going to read through it like a medicine ad real quick. Okay. I'm just going to, um, first of all, immediately there was a hardo uh, who was saying, if you're not, oh, screw this up. Keep going. Anyway. You. <laughs> no, no. You Anyways. make your you make your flub so much more obvious. And yeah. you're like, oh shit, we gotta start the whole show over again. <laughs> just, just power through. We all go ahead. speak. This is an okay, hour-long podcast. Go. Deploying mandatory fun. I need a few volunteers. CQ on Christmas, paying back the government because they messed up their pay on the first place. Extra peanut butter packets, chili mac, government shutdowns while on deployment, duty on weekends, getting paid too much, mando fun. 
you know, we don't complain about Chili Mac. We complain about a lack of Chili Mac. Chili Mac, correct. Because if somebody else, can you imagine now being a PFC and going into a platoon and they open up the MREs and the junior troops get to pick first and having the audacity to pick Chili Mac? Mm -mm. What do you think about having more, you know, in 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 the day of Uber Eats and Seamless and what have you, what if you got to just pick from a menu and you got to just pick your MRE? Oh, before you go? Yeah. Like what you want? Wow. Yeah. Never happened because that no. responsibility relies on senior E7s for logistics to get like chow in the field. Never would, because no one will care. No. Like, yeah. If you had been like, hey, when I was the company gunny, like, hey, uh, Lance Corporal Johnson, he actually wants to have the MRE omelet for breakfast. Mm. I don't give a fuck what he wants give him an mre and tell him to be happy right i don't give a shit what he wants i can see some staff nco being like as a lesson i actually gave you all opposite of what you asked for mm-hmm. you, should know, you should know not, not to ask for stuff even if i asked you to ask for it you're not a vegetarian today yeah. you'll eat those fucking hamburger patties yeah. <laughs> 2 a.m fire watch the weather in the field fod walks what does fod stand for for an option object Murray. yep so uh, police calling Quality officers produced by West Point. No, we Excuse never complained about them. The Excuse one ply toilet paper, mother mm-hmm. of God, who among us didn't have poopy hands a little mm-hmm. bit from time it's to just time. Just too small square. Too small square. Literally not getting released till 1900 daily because the commander is somebody still inside the building. MRE scrambled eggs. Oh, those are the worst, dude. It was mm-hmm. a powder. And then somehow, as a leader, if your troops aren't complaining, there's a real problem. And he's not wrong, this guy said, NBRX84. Um, there was just endless, endless, endless. What do you think was your top complaint when you guys were in? Hmm. I think quality of vehicle was one for dogs because yeah. we, we would try to load up as many dogs as we could for training, but they would give us like the legit bongo vans, which was like a tiny, tiny little van that was so difficult to put like kennels that would fit our working dogs in and they would break down constantly so we'd be in the middle of the jungle trying to do training and trying to get out on a van that has like 12 inch tires that has four working dogs in the back and they're just like figure it out devil dogs and we're like okay we will try mine was definitely one of the ones here that not getting released until the commander is done doing whatever whatever he's doing and it's because they hate their wife or husband like that's right. the reason yeah why. they're sitting in their office scrolling on social media or reading the internet they're not doing mm-hmm. anything productive at that point but it doesn't matter because the perception that if you leave oh it's a bad look meanwhile your whole unit isn't really doing anything at all that always annoyed me yeah i remember so i was in a field mp unit so half of us were down uh, about 30 minutes we were on the coast and the other half of our unit was the kennels up in Mainside on camp pendleton and it was a good like 30 minute drive and the canine always got precedent. They always got the nicer stuff. They always got everything because they had the dogs take care of whatever. But whenever we had to do something as a whole unit, we always had to go to them. So, and it was always in our own vehicles. So we're doing this like 30 minute drive each way, almost every single day for some, for like a 10 minute speech or something. And we, that was like one of our biggest complaints. Well, we're spending our fucking gas money and our time and our this and our that to go. We have to get up early. You guys blah, got blah, blah. fucked though. You needed better leaders, honest to God. Like you talk about having to do like working parties where you paid and you were gone for days, like before you could go to the ball, you guys needed somebody to stick up for you. But I love my leadership. I loved, but yeah, that was one of the things. We Unless they're listening. About. If they're listening, then I, then they <laughs> no, were fantastic. I doubt it, but they, you know, they, I loved them. But like, that was one of the things we always complained about. Um, and then 
the other thing was too, like if we were being kept around for no reason, which was a lot of times you need to look busy because God forbid the officer keeping you there happens to look out of his window when he's scrolling through Twitter or whatever and sees you guys just milling around, then there's fuck fuck game. So then your staff sergeant's pissed off telling your sergeant to tell your corporal to make you guys look busy somehow. And next thing you know, you're clearing like a tree line full of ants and whatever. Like it was just the dumbest shit like that that made us nuts that we complain about. But yeah, yeah we complain about everything. everything. No matter good, bad, whatever. You have something good. There, you'll yeah. find a way, yeah. even if something's great. You'll yeah. find a way to complain about it. Like, let's say you're going to go to the PGA championship. Like our unit got picked and everybody gets to go to the PGA championship. It's going to take place at what's that golf course that you went to, Kate? Oh, Torrey Pines. Torrey Pines. Yeah, Torrey Pines. So you're out here at Torrey Pines. Like, oh, God, we got to go to Torrey Pines. What time are we leaving? Fucking 5 a.m. This is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even if it was <laughs> yeah, you're going up. <laughs> I don't want to do this on a work day. Or just if you're going to give us the day off, just let me stay home. It's like you're going to yeah. Torrey Pines. Shut up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. All right, so who's not going to shut up is our guy, Dave Portnoy. Here he is talking about the initiative that we have with Penn National and with Simper Five Fund and with the Fisher House. Here he is. Okay, Mercy Press Conference time. Big announcement. This Saturday, Army-Navy. Uh, basically, the favorite sporting event I've ever been to. We go, I think, seven, eight years in a row, besides the Patriots Super Bowls. Besides that, though, Army-Navy, there is no event like it. And Barstool has a long history of supporting the military, the troops, you name it. We've done a bunch of fundraisers, charity events for it. Some of the favorite things we've done. The beauty now that we're partnered with Penn is I can call them up and be like, yo, I got an idea to raise a ton of money. So here's what we're doing. Starting this Thursday through Monday, our Viva La Troops fundraiser. For every new account for Barstool Sportsbook, if you put in $100, Penn National, they will match it. You put in 100, we match it. You put in 100, we match it. Every new account, every state that we're legal in. And we're gonna donate it all at the end of this program to two great charities. The Fisher House and Semper Five Fund, who are both awesome. We've done all the research, spoke with them. They're excited to be part of it. They support all the troops from getting injured to families to building houses near hospitals. They're great charities, great events. We want to raise as much money as humanly possible. Viva La Troops. This Thursday through this Monday, every single person who signs up with a new account, 100 bucks, Pen will match. What's the goal? I'm talking to Michael. We can make two, three, four million dollars. So we'll divide it evenly to those two great charities. Hopefully, raise a ton of cash. Am I in a, am I an army guy or am I a navy guy? I'm an army guy. Everyone knows that. Um, Viva the troops! Sign up. It's going to go everywhere. Army, navy, the best game there is. America's game. Join it. Uh, I want to raise a ton of money. There it is. All right. So since Dave explained that, I'm not going to get into the actual betting. Again, if you donate a hundred bucks, they're going to match it. And then it's going to be matched again. So you basically have a double match, but I also have an interview right now that was somebody that has full-time experience with the Simplify fund. Here he is. All right. So we told you a little bit about the endeavor that we're going to be taking, and I want to get accurate information about the Simplify fund. So we're bringing on somebody to do just that because we could talk about it with Google searches and things that we find. But being able to talk to somebody that works hand in hand with them and has benefited from the organization is a much better way to do that. So that's why we brought on Davey Lynn. Davey, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. And I'm excited because Davey is a recon bubba and he spent his career uh, in the Marine Corps doing reconnaissance Marine things, um, which I always respect is just being an attachment with them and 
Fallujah in 2007 was an honor of a lifetime and seeing how they hit it and get it. And Davey did it for a long time, retired as a master sergeant um, and is now working closely with the Simplify Fund and has experienced that as well. But we'll get into that in just a moment. I want to start off with your career because it's not often that we have an actual reconnaissance men on. So when you were joining, coming from Pennsylvania, moving in, joining the Marine Corps, is being a recon Marine what you wanted to do from the jump? No, it was uh, it, it wasn't. I, I, I stepped in with not a lot of confidence into the Marine Corps. I knew I wanted to be in the infantry, knew I wanted to be outdoors, believed all the recruiting posters, you know, everything the recruiter told me. I Slay believed. dragon. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just going to going to go get after it. And, uh, you know, I enlisted in the delayed entry program in uh, before at the end of my junior year of high school. So I was committed to the Marine Corps and the infantry all through my senior year. So I just wanted to get out of my small town. And uh, what happened for me right away in, in relation to my career is I did all my initial training on the East Coast, went to the beautiful desert oasis of 29 Palms, mm -hmm. California, and uh, got to attack various hills. And, you know, as a young single man, enjoyed the life, enjoyed the lifestyle. And uh, there was a, I was in uh, India Company 37, um, right next to us in that, or not right next to us, but in that unit, there was also another unit that I was seeing, watching, and kind of, you know, got all uh, jealous of, and that was the staple platoon, their surveillance and target acquisition, or a scout sniper section. And seeing them and how they operated really made me want to, that, you know, that was the books I was reading. Those are the things I was learning about that I wanted to do. And that is, uh, and that's really what happened. I, I went to Desert Shield and Desert Storm in the infantry, and we came back from that and we started training the exact same way, doing the exact same things, attacking the exact same hills. And I felt like, you know, there's more out there for me. There's more of a personal challenge, my communication skills, what I like to do, what's really going to get me going in the morning. It, it felt like it was going to be a small unit type thing. So I went to stay three, seven and then transferred to stay two, seven. And during that time, I, I never had a chance to actually go to sniper school. I've been promoted through the ranks. I took a break from the fleet, um, from the uh, from the fleet Marine Force, and I went to teach non-infantry men infantry skills at Marine Combat Training on Camp Pendleton. And I did that for about two and a half years. And while I was there, I was promoted to sergeant. And uh, I knew that if I went back to the fleet, I was not going to be able to go to a state platoon. I was going to be doing something I didn't want to do. And, it, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm not knocking anybody that wants to do it or did do that. I'm simply saying my personal challenges, my personal way that I thought and, and envisioned myself, I really in, enjoyed the small unit tactics. To and a lot of times what people don't talk about when you do those additional follow-on duties like going to combat training is that because you were in a state platoon, not being like fully quote qualified to be there and then going back, if you had to go back to a conventional infantry unit, it had been years since you had done that and you would be stepping in as a sergeant expected to know certain things and that getting back up to speed on what they're doing would be difficult as well. 100 percent accurate and why I was at MCT. Uh, as an instructor, there was tons of things that changed. You know, we had a brand new radio that came in for the infantry, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. So, uh, you know, you, you were playing. I was already You don't want to have to ask questions as a sergeant to your Lance Corporal. What is this? How does this yeah, work? Yeah, exactly. 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 So um, I, I went and uh, said, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to go to, I want to go to recon. 
looked at the screening, first recon battalion, first force recon. And uh, the very first thing I ever failed in the Marine Corps was my very first first force recon company screening process. Um, went down there. It was it was actually recorded for local news. You know, they didn't they didn't let us know that. So my fifth my initial 15 minutes of fame was me failing the first force recon induct. Um, punch to the gut. Had Very to unusual interview because usually people that we have would never admit to failing anything. If you came and listened to only military podcasts, you'd be like, nobody's ever failed the school. Nobody's ever done poorly. Everybody basically deserves the medal of honor. Like, yeah. yeah. No, that's how it, was, it usually uh, goes. So I appreciate the honesty. No, I, I failed my first end doc. And uh, if that did anything, but light the fire, uh, there was, there, it, oh you tell me i'm not good enough tell me i can't mm -hmm. <laughs> watch me show you i can you know one of those things so I, I i continued working hard training hard and uh a year later after an injury a year later took the endoc passed and uh and then it was it was you know that changed my career i was at a fork in a road and it took me down a path that i thoroughly enjoyed loved 90 percent of what i did in in the two reconnaissance units that i was in I was in First Force Recon Company from 96 to 2004, and then I was at First Recon Battalion from 2004 to uh, 2009 when I retired. My injuries occurred in 2007, so I had you know, two and a half years pre-injury and then about two years post-injury. And let's talk a little bit about the injury, because that leads us into the Semper Five Fund. When you were in Fallujah, which we talked about before we pressed record, we were in the same unit the same battalion whenever you guys came over i was in charlie company and what company were you with so i had started off in charlie company before you got there and then i was uh in alpha company and we were attached to the 13th musoc that was so we were on ships and we came in we were there at the same time but i came in from a different um and i was there for a short rotation uh to get in and get out and walk us through the mission of what was what was taking place. What was kind of the the feeling in the AO when you guys got there, when they brought you from the Mew and they they put you back into Iraq? What was the kind of mood in the unit, and what were you guys primarily responsible for? Um, you know, my my job as a recon platoon sergeant, I was it, it's it's the greatest job that you could ever have, and and I, I a gunnery sergeant in charge of recon marines doing recon marine things. There's there I, I'm I have not found a job that that compares to it. Our job uh, essentially was to go out, just be a disruptive force in the area to keep the insurgency from being able to act with, uh, you know, carte blanche. You know, if we're not there, they can run around, they can intimidate, um, they can intimidate civilians, they can make people, you know, join their side, they can all these different things that they can do. Our job was uh, was what's called coin counterinsurgency operations and to go out and just do uh you know knock and talks talk to the local populace find out what they need find out about what's going on and then as i said be a disruptive be a disruptive combat force in the field and and kind of uh you know kick the hornet's nest a little bit get these guys out and moving so they can come out and we can engage them in i mean i sound like i'm super educated here so we can engage them in kinetic combat we want to get those guys out there with guns in their hands where they meet uh, the rules of engagement and we can actively engage them and, and eliminate that enemy. That's what we're looking to do out there. And in layman turn, you're playing combat peekaboo where you're just going out to the streets, trying to get lure them into shooting you. So you know where they're at, so you can go shoot them. hundred uh, percent combat peekaboo. 
uh, then, uh, you know, which I'm not sure switch. if that's a term that I just for it coined, but it's good. Let's copyright it. Let's get that yeah. out there in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the books. Uh, so uh, whack-a-mole, we always use whack-a-mole. Yeah, yeah, whack-a-mole. Mm -hmm. you know, when they were in one in one town, we'd go to that town and then they'd pop up, you know, three bills over doing stuff. And, and we'd always hear the, you know, that they're harassing the local police or they're harassing the mayor of this bill or whatever. We, we'd get that information. And, and unfortunately, uh, it's not popular opinion, but the only way to keep the insurgency at bay is to maintain a presence. Mm -hmm. nobody wants to hear that nobody wants to say it out loud and nobody wants to do that yeah and that's the only way you can do it so <laughs> uh so we were out and uh and that's what we we're doing uh, so take you through my injuries or take you through you know the night everything that happened yeah let's let's do that okay so we we had left um you know it was called tq or takatam air base in iraq we went mobile so i had a six vehicle convoy and we you know infiltrated into our area of operation at night and then what we typically you know what we typically did is to avoid being uh shot at as as much as we would marry up and close locate with the civilian population that was there uh in the area and our operations from that strategic point we would then put out overwatches we would then put out uh, uh observation posts that could look at and report on suspicious activity and the ultimate goal, which you want to find in that area, is either to find the enemy doing something where they meet the rules of engagement and we can shoot them or we can call in aircraft to drop bombs on them. That's ultimately what we're doing in, mm -hmm. in that regard. We had, you know, unfortunately for me, uh, we'd only been in, I'd been in Iraq during, this is my fifth combat tour and my third time in Iraq. And I had been in the country for three weeks. We'd been in the field for about 36 hours and we left one of these positions and uh we we hit an ied so i was a six vehicle and a six vehicle convoy and the the force you know the ied roadside bomb is what it's what it's called in the in the news but uh, it was a mine of some sort vehicle rolled over it and it went off directly underneath me mm -hmm. so in that moment, you know, I'm, I've been asked a lot of questions over the years. Um, I I've, initially I felt like I had been um, punched with the world's greatest sucker punch. Mm -hmm. I, I was up against the glass. There was it was almost euphoric. There were stars and embers and stuff around me, and uh, then it became very clear. I, I didn't know if we were shot. What was what was happening? And uh, I kind of lost some of that grogginess. And then, and I it, think that's it, an important note because this, at this point, this isn't your first deployment. Like you've been in multiple combat situations, multiple firefights, two year, two other deployments in early 2004 and later 2004, where you've seen extreme combat. So being disoriented there isn't because you are a rookie; it's because of what you went went through. Yeah, it was the concussion from the blast. It was. It was. Um, you know, to that point that you mentioned, I, w I wasn't complacent, but I was very, um, you know, I had come in, I mentioned earlier, I came in, in in Desert Show, Desert Storm, where all you wanted to do was was get in the action. Like you always hear that from old movies. I just, where's the action? I want to get into mm -hmm. it. And I certainly had that as a young man. And then as I got older, and now I'm a platoon sergeant, I'm in charge of, you know, men that I love like sons and brothers all I want to do is do the right thing and make sure I bring everybody home. Bad things to the bad people, good things to the good guys. 
and bring everybody home. That's all I cared about. And these are specialized uh, warriors who are sometimes 20 years old, like very 100%, young. 100%. And, and, you know, dark comedy, four-letter swear words is pretty much how you, how, how you get the point across. And, mm-hmm. But everybody's on the same page. And that, and that gung-ho attitude of working together to complete the mission no matter what it was, that's something you can't find anywhere but the battlefield and the people you've trained. And I think that's even different because I have worked with typical infantry units, the more normal infantry units and recon. But because recon is so small in nature, and like you said, a six-vehicle convoy, you could have a team that is only eight dudes like that's rolling through. So your individual platoon, your fire teams are even more close, I would say, than most normal units, even in the Marine Corps, it's, it's a different type of animal. Yeah, it, it is that, that, you know, you know, there's a saying, um, you know, rank has its privileges and that's certainly, that's certainly true, but also heavy is the head that wears the crown, mm-hmm. you know, being in charge of those guys. I know, I knew who was married. I knew who was a liberal risk. I knew who I couldn't let, let alone around alcohol. I knew who was going to go to church and, and would and try to read scripture to me and tell me about his church experience who was married who had multiple girlfriends you know you know these the officer men. who wanted to run for congress yeah 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 you, you know you know these men you know their their dreams their aspirations where they come from who has a good background who has a bad background and you know that and then you live around each other 24 hours a day for months on, a, on months on time months on end and then you you get out there and now you're tasked with doing things that are life-threatening and dangerous. And every every single person has kind of a almost the aw shucks look about them, like, let's go get this done, you know. And and that's that's the greatest, that's the greatest feeling that you can have out there. As no, dangerous I, as the job is, that's the greatest feeling. And knowing all that, having that responsibility, when you do wake up in the back of the Humvee or in the Humvee and you see the stars and you see the numbers. What's going through your mind? Is it initially self-preservation or preservation for the for your troops? Uh, the the first thing that happened was um, I did a self-evaluation. I did a leg sweep and and realized my right leg ended prematurely. Mm-hmm. Now I I wasn't knocked out in the vehicle. Everybody else was, and I think it was because of my relationship to the blast. Um, so I was aware immediately of my right leg being amputated. I called for my corpsman. He and he was waking everybody up. Corpsman was my battle buddy. His name's Brian Thurman. He um, he's like, "Hey, are you good? Is everybody all right?" You know, tapping helmets and everything. And everybody's coming out of this concussive, uh, you know, being being knocked unconscious. I, I got myself out of the vehicle. You know, the door was was embedded in the ground. You know, basically lost part of the front of the vehicle, and uh, kind of put my shoulder in the door. And trying to get myself out of the vehicle because we were so worried about fire, it was just let, let me get away from the vehicle. At that time, the enemy was attacking with IEDs that had gasoline and things with them. So mm-hmm. became, you know, was scared about fire, got out of the vehicle, tried to low crawl away, but you know, my weapon was inoperable, my gears on my front. So kind of roll on my back to push myself further from the vehicle. And that's simultaneously that's when I realized that my left leg was missing below the knee and that was when my uh corpsman got to me that's when my battle buddy got to me we both said our swear words and uh you know I'm not I'm not as proud of it but I but it's 
you know, I'm going to be honest, that was in that moment, in that time, I thought the most of, uh, you know, taking myself out. I, you know, as a platoon sergeant, I'm armed with a pistol as well as an M4. And there was a nanosecond of time where I had all the thoughts in the world, pain like a freight train was coming on. And I, you know, being aware of my injuries, having this kind of pre pre bang thought of, you know, this is what, there's no way my life can be sustainable like this. There's no way I can live like this. I had this, the initial thoughts of, of killing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, then I immediately thought of my children. I thought of different things that were in my life at that time. And I thought, you know what, that's a, that's a crazy, you know, I can't do that. You and know? I, but I think it's a completely normal thought process to go through because you look at somebody like, like yourself, who you joined the Marine Corps to be outside. You were always active. You wanted to run. You don't become a reconnaissance Marine without knowing how to swim and run and be active and all those things. So you look down and you see physical evidence. My life is never, ever going to be the same. And I thought the same thing whenever I got shot through the arm. Like it was initially like, how is it going to be when I go to hold my kids? Am I going to be able to do sports? Am I going to be able to stay in the Marine Corps? You not only have your enjoyment factor, but there's career aspects that you worry about. There's what is it going to be like going forward and all of it's unknown and all of it happens literally for your sake in a flash. Yeah. You, and, and you're, you're filled with doubts. You're filled with doubts. Everything you touched on, this is what I used to do. I can't do that anymore. What will I even be able to do? And the Marine Corps is not going to want me. All, all those things. I was a master sergeant selectee at that time. So I was a gunnery sergeant, E7, master sergeant selectee. And, you know, believe it or not, thoughts right away, you know, can I, can I maintain my job at the battalion? Can I was supposed to be an operations chief mm-hmm. when I returned off this deployment? And that's such time. a huge deal for reconnaissance men to get to the point where you're a platoon sergeant. And then the ops chief role in those units are so respected because you've been there for so long and done it for so long. You're almost like you and the master guns are like the grand old men in the Marine Corps. Man, it feels that way too. (laughs) Everything feels that way, but you're absolutely right. And you, you, you just, you, you see all your hopes and dreams being taken from you and you to, to say, it's not, it's not depressing to say it's not challenging to say it's not emotionally draining is 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 not accurate i you know i went through all of those emotions and then continue to go through them uh repeatedly for for a long time so you're lying on your back you're looking at the humvee you're looking at your legs and what remains of your legs how did you go from that spot in iraq to where you are now and how did simplify fund help fill that gap so i went from uh flat on my back in uh, in the deserts of iraq to planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, life flight came in, helicopter picked me up, took me back to Takatum. My initial uh, stabilizing surgery happened there. I left there in a couple days. I was there for a day or so. And then um, went to Longshore, Germany for another debridement surgery. Uh, the bombs are really dirty. Third world countries are really dirty. And that blast shoots a bunch of parasites and bacteria and things into your body that leads to infection and all this kind of stuff. So I had to be even cleaned out enough to be able to come back to the States to get the medical care that I needed. Um, So I was injured June 14, 2007. 
and I arrived in Bethesda, Maryland, um, when Bethesda and Walter Reed were still two separate hospitals mm -hmm. on, on June 19, 2007. And uh, at that time, I, I, I landed at night. That's pretty um, fast. Five days is pretty fast. It, it, it is. Um, great care along the way. Very sure empathetic. Like forever. Uh, empathetic people around me the whole time doing what they could. Um, got put in the bed. Uh, at the, at, you know, so much of my life has changed since that day. But uh, my wife at the time, my brother-in-law, they met me at, at my bedside. My brother-in-law um, was a recon Marine as well. That's how I met. That's how I, you know, met and everything. So he, him being there in the bedside, you know, checking up on me. And, and so that happened June 19th In June 20th. Um, I believe it was a Saturday that year, but it, it really doesn't matter because I had the, the Marine liaison can in my room. They said, Hey, this is what we have. Welcome in. You know, they call me by my rank, Gunny, welcome to see you. We know you're going through a hard time. We're here to help you out. Kind of looks out for me the whole way across. And then um, they said, you know, we're going to have some visitors come in to help you today from the Semper Fi Fund. I'd never heard that term before. I'd never heard it. So I'm like, okay, who are they? What do they do? And he said, well, listen, I can't speak for them, but they're going to help you out. That's, that's what I know they're going to do. It's, it's, it's a nonprofit. This is what they're going to help you with. Two ladies, uh, the next day, two ladies in red shirts, Semper Fi Fund on them at that time. Uh, the name has changed. It's now the fund or Semper Fi in America's fund. But at that time, they, the, these ladies from the fund came in and uh, they asked us questions that I didn't know the answer to. How much is your gas bill? How much is your electric bill? Where do you live? What do you have a car payment due? What's going on? Looked at, at my wife and, and said, you know, what is your, you know, where are you staying right now? What can we do for you to help you? Took a list of all our bills. This is, this is the first week of my injuries. Took a look at all our bills and said, okay, listen, give us copies of these. We're going to get in front of this for you and paid our, our bills at that time. My, my wife left her job at a moment's notice to come be by my bedside. Rental cars, things like that. And this is so, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is so important because the mindset of the Marine, the mindset of the service member period is I'm going to do this by myself. Like, I don't want any type of help. I don't, I'm not going to seek it out. Marines and service members in general will absolutely go into debt before they they ask for this help. So the fact that the Semper Fi Fund is proactive and going before any of those things happen, knowing the mindset of the service member that you don't want handouts, you don't want any of that stuff, but it's something that you need at that time and you needed it desperately, whether you realize that at the time or not, is incredible. It, I, the, the best phrase I heard during that time, because handout is right, there, there's it, it's very, it's very problematic to, to get that. I, what am I, I don't deserve this. I can't, I don't want this handout. And somebody said, don't look at it as a handout, look at it as a hand up. Mm -hmm. We're going to get you back on your feet, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. And then, and you know, you're going to be solid. So um, they came in and that was the first thing that they did. The very first thing they did was, was, you know, take care of the bills, take care of everything. Um, and then maintained a relationship with us that started a relationship uh, you know, I can't stress enough that when it comes to the fund, I am not a, I'm not a number. I'm not a, uh, you know, I can call my phone right now and the ladies that I've known for the last 14 and a half years will answer the phone with, Hey, Davey, what's going on? That's, that's what the relationship is. Um, the, the other, the other really 
great part about that time there is um, in, in, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the Fisher house in, in this relationship because mm -hmm. my, my mom and her husband, my brother and his wife, they all came to visit me at the hospital and uh, the Fisher house got involved right away. So at certain times, my, my wife stayed at the Fisher house, um, which is co-located with the hospital to make it easier for family to visit and, and come see you. Uh, make sure you're good. Get get that check in. My kids came to see me. Things like that. That relationship, that it wasn't even a bill that we had to worry about because the Fisher House took care of it. Mm -hmm. So that that relationship of being able to have people right there come see you, it's invaluable. It's invaluable. No, nobody, few people will be able to talk about it, but the hardest part about the injuries is sure the physical. And the emotional aspect of that injury is there. But the other thing is, is, is the isolation. You know, I went from being in charge of 26 damn near handpicked Marines that would stand shoulder to shoulder with me in, in any mission, any task to now I'm flat on my back in a hospital bed, can't get myself to the bathroom, you know, in and out of surgeries. I have no, no camaraderie, no, you know, that, that feeling of isolation was, was pretty powerful but having my family there kids came to see me several times uh visitors things like that was 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 very very important and that between the fund and the fisher house that relationship is very very amazing what they're able to do to get the injured recovered as fast as possible and it's and it's something that is we look at from friends of mine like kyle carpenter kyle carpenter is not in the position that he is right now without the Semper Fi Fund and without the Fisher House. There's just no doubt. I mean, three and a half years in the hospital and his mom could have stayed there forever and Fisher House would have paid the bill. Like it, it's just the things that they're doing is invaluable to the military community, especially those who were injured in combat. I, I, I say often um, when, when asked about it, I, by, most, by most measures of success in the world today, I, I would be considered successful. People are more successful, people are less successful but I'm considered largely successful on most scales. Mm -hmm. And I will say with great passion, I am successful today because it's such a crucial and pivotal time at a strong foundation of support. The fund has never let me or allowed me to live outside of my financial means. That's not, that's not what it does. You, you can hear, you can almost think that when you hear about how fast they help and how much they give in, in grants and donations, but there's also an aspect of holistic healing, counseling, uh, you know, rec therapy, physical therapy trips, um, spiritual, you know, retreats, things like that, that they, that they coordinate and they support so that the total, the aspect of totally and completely contributing to the healing of that injured individual is, is continuous. It's throughout and it, and it never stops. That's, that's the most amazing thing about the fund. And with my personal experiences with the fund, one of the things that I really like is that they never treated you like a victim. I didn't treat you like you needed this or anything like that, or that you were weak. It was just part of what they do. And they're like, you earn this. This is what, this is what is happening now. Like you earn this. So this is what's going to happen. But I think approaching people like you with your resume and treating you like you're still the gunny, you're still like a Marine, you're still an individual, hugely important. It, it was, there was, you, you hit the nail on the head. They never treated me like I was a victim. Um, 
if anything, they're they're almost too giving. They 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 anticipate things and and it's a you know there's a term push and pull information. Uh, they pull information from you. What do you need? How are you? What can we help with? My favorite my favorite story. I've I've, I've told it time and time again, but my favorite story about the fund is uh, is something that they did that actually wasn't um, financially based. They my my case manager name was uh, Sandra Saylor. Uh, she called me up one day and she said, you know, hey, Davey, how you doing? And and I just had a horrible morning. Uh, my wife came, picked me up at the hospital. I transitioned out to San Diego. She came and picked me up at the hospital. I just want to go home on my couch and watch TV. That's all I really wanted to do. Well, I lived in an older condo, in an older condo complex. And when we pulled in and she pulled my wheelchair out of the car, the first thing I noticed was there's no wheelchair around and it blew me away. Yeah. Thankfully I was on the first floor First, my condo was on the first floor. Right. So I climbed out of the wheelchair, climbed across the grass, made it in the house and, and got on the couch and just, you know, going through those emotions of I couldn't even walk into my house. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> Sandra sailor with her connections in the Oceanside area, she, you know, they leveraged existing relationships with contractors or whoever that wanted to build stuff and work with the homeowners association and build a not up to code, not up to standard press wood, uh, hasty ramp wheelchair ramp that got me from the parking lot into my front door. And they did it on 24 hours notice, but they did it through, you know, like I said, leveraging these, these relationships, there was they're not going to fix every problem with the check. If they can't fix it with a the check, they will. They've given away, you know, over $250 million. So they have no problem with that. Thousands and thousands of service members and families from every branch of service have been helped. But if they have a way to holistically or with existing relationships or volunteers to solve your problem as well, or help you solve your problem, you know, they will. And that, and that, that started in 2007 and exists today right now for me you know at the end of 2021 i think that's the perfect way to end it is that they're just willing to do stuff and i know our listeners will appreciate anybody that doesn't wait for code fuck code we're we just need to get it done like it doesn't sure. matter if it meets an engineer's standard just get it done as long as david can get into his house that's the only thing that fucking matters so, yep so we Absolutely. like that so Absolutely. make sure that you go out and bet this weekend on barstool bets all money is going to be matched dollar for dollar by Penn National. And then if we can get it all in before December, there's another super wealthy family that's going to match those donations. So what you're donating your hundred bucks could end up being $300 on the side of it whenever it's all said and done or 200, whatever. I didn't do math for Marines recently, so I don't know. But you're going to have some money that flows into there. So make sure you're doing that. Davey, thank you for your service, first of all. And thank you for spreading the word about what the Simplify Fund for America is doing. One of the things that really stuck out to me about the Simplify Fund is how he didn't have to ask for Simplify Fund to happen. Like he came in, had surgery. Five days later, he's back in America at Walter Reed. Simplify Fund comes in and says, what's your gas bill? What's your electric bill? We're going to take care of all this stuff because we know your wife is going to have to quit her job to come here with you while you do that. It's so unbelievably important to do that because this community does not ask for help to a detriment. Like if you have something that you need help with, you would almost take it to your grave and be like, well, fuck, I'm going to die like five years earlier, but I don't want to bug anybody. I don't want to get on. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to be a burden. Semper Fund knows that the Fisher house knows that. 
and they step in the gap before you need to ask, which I think is amazing. And it shows how well they know this community. Yeah. It's it all, it's the, the feeling like a burden. And also I think there's some pride involved in a, in a lot of instances oh, where guys sure. just, and gals sure. just say like, Oh, I can, you know, I'll tough this out too. And it's like, eh, take Dude, the help. It, it's okay. I mean, to that end, like after when I still had a big cast and it was all wrapped up, there was no shot. I was letting anybody carry any of my things. Mm -hmm. Like I was leaving Iraq. I'm putting everything on my back. I'm bringing my dog. I'm bringing nobody's going to help me. That's just the way that you are. It's the way that you're hardwired. And a lot of times good leadership is stepping in the way and not allowing somebody to, what is a strong characteristic of their character to not let them beat themselves. Like sometimes as a leader, you have to step in the gap and say, look, I know that you want to do this yourself. I'm not going to let you. It's like that college coach or a coach in general, when a, when a quarterback or anybody has a concussion, of course, you as mm -hmm. a competitor, you want to go back in there, but it's your responsibility to that person to be like, dude, you're not going back in the game right now. Yeah. You're just not. Also, and Zipper Fund helps with that. I think people underestimate too, how much your mental state affects your physical recovery mm -hmm. when you're faced with something as traumatic as that stress absolutely detracts from your recovery effort in 110% your recovery will be slower if you're stressed out and you have anxiety and you and, and financials to, is one of those huge biggest one of the struggles. biggest stressors and if you mm -hmm. are so focused on that then you're not fully focused on recovery and so it absolutely is such a huge huge piece so I, I just think it's awesome that and as always Dave too has always and he normally does it quietly and behind the scenes he steps up and does stuff for our military community and puts a ton of his own time and effort and money on out for it. And I just am really grateful for her. Yeah. And in full it. honesty, this wasn't my idea at all. Yeah, this no. was, this was Dave, Dave reached out yeah. to me and said, Hey, this is something I want to do. What do you think the best way to go about this is what's some organization. And I gave him a list and he went through the list of organizations that I had flagged and picked the ones that he thought matched his ideas for what we wanted to see. So I'm super happy that he did that and took the initiative to, to raise this money. It's going to make a big difference for yeah. people. Let's move on to round number five. And this one comes to us from Montgomery County, Maryland, where a homeowner burned their house down on November 23rd while trying to manage a snake infestation. The Montgomery County Fire and Rescue spokesperson, Peter Pringer, uh, tweeted that the owner of the house used smoke from coals to fight serpents in the house. <laughs> um, I love this because my wife currently, while we're recording, has called me four times and has texted me no fewer than five or six times about a huge bug that is apparently upstairs right now and she oh, no. cannot handle it. In about 10 minutes, if I don't go up there soon, I believe that she will start lighting the fireplace and just taking matters into her own hands. Well, this, did you see how big this house was? The house was yes, nearly the house 10, was enormous. 10,000 square feet. That's a massive house. 10,000 square feet fully engulfed in flames. And it was because the snakes had been an ongoing issue in this house. And it seems like the person just fucking snapped. Basically, they put coals as the heat source for the smoke, but they put them too close to combustible materials. No shit. You cannot do they that. They put them in the basement. So what yeah. I imagine, it's kind of like Home Alone, where you have that big shelf full of like turpentine and antifreeze yeah. and all this stuff that's super flammable. But if you have snakes in your house for a long period of time, that would drive you batty because oh, I mean, yeah. it's like when somebody starts talking anywhere. about lice, right? Yeah. Like if somebody starts talking about lice, automatically my beard and my hair feel like super itchy. If I thought there was snakes in my house, I wouldn't sleep a wink, dude. No. Yeah. A wink. There's, 
there's a snake in your bed. There's a snake in your toilet. There's a snake Everywhere. that's going to come from the drain. Break out the coals. Fuck it. And yeah. snake infestation is a terrifying thing. Just and that this- word. That word alone. Snake infestation. And for that reason, I'm out. Like, no By thing. the way, they had just purchased this home for $1.8 million. And the damage is over a million dollars worth of damage. The house is like a shell. How mad would you be at the inspector for not being like, Hey, by the way, I noticed about a thousand snakes while I was inspecting the basement. Like, how I need to know which adult in the house did it. That's what I need to know. <laughs> if it's a traditional family with mom and dad, who did it? Mm-hmm. Yes. If, if if dad did it, this is a dad never, move. This is a dad move. Never right. There's no shot. I would be shocked mm-hmm. if it was a woman that was behind this. Well, this is a dude that is. He's probably three cheat up a little bit, honestly. Yes. <laughs> Just hanging on this house. It's getting to be Thanksgiving. His this. Oh, OK. I think I figured it out. Thanksgiving's coming up. They have people coming over to their brand new 10,000 square foot house for the first time that they've lived there. They mm-hmm. moved in. They want to have all the family for the first time. Another snake slithers by. The wife sees it. Derek, where the fuck did that snake come from? People are coming over in two days. We need to get this snake. I'm trying. I'm trying to do everything I can to get rid of these damn snakes. You're not doing enough. Oh, I'm not doing enough? Cool. I'll go get these coals and put them out. They don't like smoke. They don't like smoke. And the next thing you know, the whole thing's and she's and she's like, this is not what I meant. This is not what I meant at all. I did not want you to burn this house down. <laughs> well, even more damning, the fire department guy, Pringer, he says, you know, there's other ways to do this. There's animal services that can come out and get rid of your snakes, you know, exterminators. Like, yeah. why didn't these people call? There's, there's but you gotta can't be. do that. As a, speaking as a husband, and cons are going to be in this role soon too. You cannot wait. This, everything mm. that a wife He's asks right. their husbands to do, it's a QRF mission. Oh you my God, yes. Fast. Yep. You have You cannot be like, I can do that in 10 minutes. My wife's going bananas oh right God. now because I said, you're going to have to wait 10 minutes for me to get this water bug out of the room. Bro, 10 minutes, 10 minutes might as well be 10 years. Yeah. As like, far oh, as they're well, concerned. If, if we're not going to, we might as well just move out. Like if right. you're, if it's going to take till Monday to get these snakes out of here, we might as well just move out. We and then chaps, it. the worst is when you get, okay, I'll be there in like 10 minutes. Uh, fine. Fine. I'll just do it myself. Then, you know, mm-hmm. you're screwed. Then, mm-hmm. then you're just, you're, you, there's no getting back from that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. But it took 75 firefighters to put this house out. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Not great. Not great. Crazy. Crazy. Surprise, surprise, (laughs) pot shot, round six. While we were recording, the White House announced diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. The White House has announced a diplomatic boycott, saying the U.S. will not send any government officials to the Chinese capital for the Winter Games. Your thoughts? I like it as a cost-saving measure. Like, there, I I don't give a fuck. Like, it was the same thing when, who was it, Pence? Where did they go? Japan, right? Mm -hmm. That was the last Olympics. When Pence went to Japan, I don't care about that. Like having somebody, a government official at the Olympics, who cares? No, I think this is a half measure. It'd be a yeah. real statement if you're like, we're not going to the Olympics. Do the Olympics without us. Like, I guess it's a half measure. I, I feel for the athletes, but I also understand, like, I think I would support a boycott on going. Like, I, it's pretty fucked when you look at what's going on. I don't know. But historically, just... you've made a bigger impact whenever you there is huge duress and the athletes are able to make like a big change, like Jim yeah. Thorpe, for example. When you're able to have those types of moments, I'm sure that they could come up with something. But having it in Beijing seems short-sighted anyways. Like I'm surprised yeah. that they're doing that. 
but the government being involved or not, that's not something that I care. Yeah, about. I don't think it means so. I beyond the vice president or president maybe popping over to see a few events. I didn't realize we sent a huge contingent from our government. So I'm all for leaving. Oh, it's one of those things like when Barstool, like the Arizona Bowl, how everybody at the office is like, oh, I need to go because I'm part I'm part of this thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. wants to go. I'm not everybody doing that, by their- the way. Me I'm neither. not forcing my I've forced I, when I went to the Super Bowl, I felt like I had to force myself because I host a parenting podcast and military podcast. That doesn't have anything to do with football yeah. unless it's Army Navy. Oh, if unless- I told I told you guys if Air Force because Air Force was on the projected bowl list, if Air Force goes, then we'll go. But if not, yeah. we're not going to put ourselves in content that just to do it. But that's then what you I get feel this trouble. is. I feel like yeah. this is people being like, well, I need to be there for this reason. And it's like, <laughs> no, you're paying taxpayer money for what? No, I honestly, I don't think they should go anyway. Huh. Exactly right. Huh. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. There you go. Yeah. All right, let's move on to save rounds and alibis, which today is going to be brought to you by our good friends at Rocky Boots. If you haven't had Rocky Boots, there's no better time than now when you have Christmas season coming up, you have all those gifts that you need to buy. And I can't tell you, I looked at the weather and saw how cold it was supposed to be this weekend. It's not going to be rainy, which is nice, right? Cons, are you on the weather report? Usually you do the I've weather. Been, where we I've, been, weather. I've been checking every day. It looks like during the day, we're going to get very mild temperatures. There's going to be rain that night, so I don't think it'll affect us in any way. So overall, great weather day for football. Also, perfect sports day overall, period. Like if you want to bet on the Barstool Sportsbook for the Army-Navy game, which obviously you can get money for the Zimper 5 Fund at Fisher House, but there's also a great UFC card that night mm-hmm. too. And Friday night is rough and rowdy Ooh, before. Yeah. So huge Hell yes. fight. Our boy and Trailer Park. Our boy Trailer Park. Trailer Park's again. back at it again, looking to make the comeback after the rough loss that he had last yeah. time. But if you want to go out and you're going to go to the Army Navy boots uh, or step out in your Rocky boots from rockyboots.com, you're going to get 25% off your next pair of boots by, by using them. They are used in every single branch of the military by first responders. If you're just hiking, if you're doing some stuff in your shed like me, not only does Rocky Boot make the best boots, but they also have great jackets that are um, very thick and hardy. They are warm as shit. They have these uh, coveralls, the overalls that I wear a lot whenever I'm doing some barbecue cooking. I put my spatula in the little carpenter loop. It's fantastic. Make sure you go to rockyboots.com. Use the promo code ZBT. You're going to get 25% off on your checkout or as you were, promo code zero. Um, make sure you use promo code zero to get that at Rocky Boots. Nope, it was ZBT. I was right the first time, 25% off uh, promo code ZBT. All right, Nick, what do you got for save rounds? So save round uh, this weekend, I had my, my daughter's third birthday party. So I just want to shout out to my wife because she organized the whole thing and it went great. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, it's a great party, big cake. Um, it looked nicer adorable. than my wedding. It looked awesome. To my marriage. Yeah. It was uh, very much over the top. But I'm, is that I'm, ice cream uh, cake? She deserves it. So it was it was half cookies and cream, half mousse. Um, and then there was like this like kind of like uh, kind of custard type deal on the top. Nice. But um, really Very good, nice. really, really decadent. It was a paint party. Um, everything went really well. So just crazy yeah. seeing her being three years old. Time flies. It Honor. really does. Um, number one, Army is ranked number two in the country in passing efficiency behind only Coastal Carolina and in one less game. So we'll see what happens when they finish out their season, where they land on that stat for the season. Let's do You want to do total passing yards? Let's do that on Thursday so I can have some, some time to think about it. But we've thrown okay. 10 passing touchdowns this year, chaps, for, for your oh. information. Yes. Wow. Um, 
as you're listening to this, it is <laughs> December. Oh, hello. Um, as you're listening to this, it is December 7th. Obviously, the anniversary of uh, the attack on, on Pearl Harbor. Uh, I, I saw that there's still some surviving members from that, which is unbelievable. Um, speaking yeah, I got of- to meet one when I went to Pearl Harbor, I think, yeah. two or three years ago. Didn't oh, McCartney wow. get to talk with one mm-hmm. of the... Yeah, yeah, we sat down for about Amazing. 20 minutes with a guy who witnessed the planes flying into the Arizona oh. from his barracks room and then ran mm-hmm. across the street to help. That's wow. crazy. That's yep. crazy. Uh, a lot of people attacked me because everybody knows I'm a big Band of Brothers fan. Uh, Colonel Ed Shams the, from Last Officer uh, Live that he just passed away from Easy Company. Um, so thoughts with his family. And then finally, Senator Bob Dole passed away. Mm-hmm. So. Close to this. And DARPA is not going to hit us back about this one. Right. No. Uh, he's he's pa- passed away. You know, when, I, when Bob Dole was running for president, it's just interesting how your perspective changes on age. Yeah. When he was running for president, I think he ran in 96, right? Yes. Like that was that was the year that he ran. I don't remember hearing much, or if I did hear it, it didn't impact me because I was only 14 at the time about all of his World War II actions and the things that he had done. Like you look at as like, I remember looking at as like a 14, 15 year old kid and thinking, oh, what's this guy holding the fucking pin weird? For? Right. That's not what you yeah. want a president to do. And now looking at it, I'm like, well, shit, because he got a fucking Purple Heart in World War II. Like that, yeah. that qualifies as being a badass. Like I was an yeah. idiot. Same thing with John Kerry when people were shitting on John Kerry. It's like, John Kerry has two Purple Hearts, man. Like he's, he did some shit too. Like yeah. and people try to flip this. I don't understand that when you get into the political realm, like if you don't like somebody's politics, you try to take away from their valor like we saw the same thing with john mccain like no matter what your politics are these people did some badass things in uniform jfk yeah. uh hw bush like there's plenty i, I saw some folks on, on twitter saying some not nice things about dole and it, just in that same vein chaps and regardless of what they've done in their political career and who they've supported and, and bills they've supported it doesn't change what they did in their military service and i think and i do think giving honest. a whole whole life perspective on somebody is right like um recently i've been watching the morning show i don't know if you guys watch that or Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. with jennifer aniston and steve carell well his character one of the characters um died like after having like all all these different sexual um like the me too movement and they did this eulogy and they mentioned all this stuff and some like some of the crowd was like oh i don't know if they should have brought that up I think it is important if you're a public facing person to have the whole story told because people can learn from that. Like people can learn that just because you're dead doesn't take away the history of the things that you did that were horrific. Like, and I think that that's the appropriate time sometimes to speak about that is those atrocities because when more so are people going to care about the real legacy of people like Colin Powell or John McCain or now Bob Dole, when are they gonna care about it after their death. It's right, going yeah. to be a lot less. So talking about those things, I think can make an impact, but you could still do it in a tasteful way. Yeah, I agree. And I agree. Bob Dole in 1945, World War II, he was seriously wounded trying to carry a fellow soldier to safety. He spent 39 months in and out of hospitals recuperating from nearly fatal injuries, which left his right arm permanently disabled and his left arm minimally functional. I didn't even know that, that he barely had function. Uh, purple heart, two purple hearts, bronze star with an oak leaf and, uh, yeah, just really impressive story there. So I had no idea. And that 
That, interestingly enough, it changed the trajectory of his life. He went on to pursue a law degree in politics because mm-hmm. that's that interesting. So, eh. oh. anything that's else? I got. Nope. Okay. Um, this is. I mean, after talking about Bob Dole's heroism, I, I am struggling. I'm still getting over hand, foot, and mouth disease, man. <laughs> still, still popping up. I still look gross. So that's a neat thing. Uh, nothing else for me. I'm sure as soon as the show's over, I'll think of ten things. Crush it. <laughs> That's totally fine. Mm. I'm excited about going up there this weekend. Again, if you've never oh, made yeah. it, if you've never made a big time bet or a bet period on the Barcelona Sports Book, go do that now. Your money is going to go into a great spot. It's going to be used by a great organization that's doing great things. We care a lot about that on this show. And if you're going to the Army and Navy game, check us out. We're going to be at the high noon tailgate, is where we're going to be at. We'll tell you more details about that on Friday. If you're going to the game, if you're going to be around New York City, let us know. We're gonna, where are we going to be at on Friday night, Cons? Uh, Friday at 4 o'clock, we'll be at Off the Wagon. That's right. So there's going to be not just us, but there's going to be a, a lot of other like me, uh, military social media folks. I don't know what the fuck. Influencers, I guess. They're yeah. going to be out there, too. So come out and hang out. Have a couple beers with us. It'll be a great time. Until Friday, we'll see you then. Bye.